Hey, hey, it's Jordan with the Laundromat Resource Podcast. This is show 137. And I'll pump you here today because today we have a, actually a really, really good guest. I think you're going to be blown away by Ben Higginbotham here. Uh, he bought a YouTube famous laundromat and really uh, shined that thing up. And not only is he killing it and doing well in business, he shares all the details uh, with you on how we did it, how we got owner financing, uh, the numbers, all this stuff. Like, there's so I wrote down so many notes in this episode. I think Ben is, I'm sure you'll be hearing more from Ben in the near future because Ben is, I love the way he approaches business and you're going to get a ton out of it. So, can't wait for you to get into that real quick. The one thing I want to tell you before we jump into it is we have a brand new pro forma calculator. So if you're looking to invest in laundromats and you're trying to figure out, okay, how is my laundromat going to perform when I buy it? And how is it all going to come out? All the financial modeling going to come out uh, after... I purchase it, maybe put in new equipment, maybe have a loan, uh, all this stuff. This pro forma calculator is super powerful, super awesome. Check out laundromatresource.com slash calculators. Uh, it is unlimited access for the pro community and you can try it for free for a few times. Uh, if you're not part of the pro community, you can go use it still uh, a few times for free. So go check it out. Laundromatresource.com slash calculators. Obviously, we have the analysis calculator also, and there's another one coming out. I uh, will be announcing it next week. Uh, it's super good. Uh, for those of you who already own laundromats, this one's going to be pretty interesting, I think. So go check out the Pro Forma Calculator. I'm losing my voice over here. Check out the Pro Forma Calculator. I'll be putting out some content on how to best utilize that here pretty quick. Uh, but I want to give you a shot to go try it out. All right, guys. Let's jump into it with Ben Higginbotham. Ben, what is going on, man? Thank you for coming on the show. I'm super pumped to have you here today. How you doing? Doing great. Uh, just carving out a little bit of time here from working at the laundromat and love to have a conversation with you. Hey, well, I appreciate you coming on and super excited to hear your story and who you are and then uh, hopefully glean some some wisdom. I can already sense it. I can feel the wisdom oozing out of you. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting into that. So why don't you start by telling us who are you and then how you got into this business? Well. My name's Ben. Um, I have been in and around small businesses since I was about 14 years old. Um, well, even earlier than that, my brother and I had like a lawn mowing business when I was about 10 or 12. And then I ended up working for a small uh, local funeral home for about 10 years. Um, lots of crossover between the funeral home industry and the laundromat industry. It's mostly all uh, owner operators and people that have one, maybe two locations. So very similar. Um, did that for about 10 years and then moved into a different industry, worked for some bigger nationwide companies, um, kind of decided corporate life's not for me and jumped into this laundromat thing to, you know, kind of work for myself and we'll, awesome. well see how it turns out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, what made you go from sort of the funeral home to corporate to laundromats of all things? I'm always curious how people wind up in our little corner of the world. Well, so I, the big corporation that I've worked for a couple of them, um, I'm actually a licensed aircraft mechanic, right? And so I was looking for a business that I could get involved with. And I saw a laundromat for sale on Craigslist that was about 10 minutes away from where I was working at the time. And 
Um, I had actually seen um, YouTube videos on this laundromat, so I was kind of familiar with it. Um, went over and talked to the guy that owned it and basically just fell into it because it was close to where I worked at the time. So, did, you, did you make it into any of the YouTube videos? Uh, only the one talking about how much he made when he sold it. Okay. So I didn't actually uh, show my face, but he did talk about it. So. Okay. That's cool. Um, I, uh, uh, I know... I know who, I mean, you can share. It doesn't matter to me. It's up to you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't care. So if you go on, if you go on YouTube and look up hot dog and with Dan, um, he did a bunch of videos on how to do, um, like an Alexa system. Those are his most popular ones, but that's the laundromat that I purchased first. Doesn't look anything like that now. Um, but that's what it was originally. Yeah. Yeah. If you go on there too, you could find a, you can find a video of him slamming me. Uh, or one of my videos too. So that's, that's great. Uh, and I had conversations wow. with him. I have no, you know, I, at least on my side, we're, we're all good. So, uh, awesome. So you've got a famous laundromat. Uh, I tell people it's YouTube famous. I don't know if that's worth anything or not, but here you go. <laughs> uh, well, Hey man, you know, like sometimes those like celebrity houses, you know, they sell for more cause just cause of that. So maybe you, I would, yeah. I for sure. You know, put a sign up that says I'm YouTube famous on your laundromat. So there you go. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, all right. So you found this this laundromat for sale on Craigslist and you're like, hey, listen, this could be my ticket out. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the deal? Like, how did you, I mean, I'm assuming you responded to that Craigslist post. How did that whole process go? Yeah. So um, responded to the marketplace. I said he had uh, given me his phone number. We met up at the laundromat. Um, he had kind of set up his asking price and whatnot. I went through and um, it was the usual. I don't know. I feel like a lot of laundromats, nobody wants to give you any numbers and they want to just sell whatever they have without justifying it in any way. So I ended up. Um, he was asking fifty thousand for it, and we negotiated it down, and I picked it up for thirty five thousand. Um, but basically, it was just a. We met up one afternoon, and he handed me the keys, and I handed him a check, and that was the extent of my how to run a laundromat training. So it was uh, I don't know. It was a couple of months of I'd stop in there. Our, three or four days a week before or after work and try to fix stuff up. It was uh, an old top loader store that still had, um, I don't know, there were, I think, six front load machines that were working and then like 22 top loaders. So as you can imagine, I was became an expert at fixing all the ex assorted problems that you have with top load machines that were, I mean, I had some top loaders that were out of the late nineties. So Nice. They were well used, yeah. Um, but yeah, as as far as the the purchase on that, I actually used a private investor to come up with that money um, and put that in. So I ended up not really investing any of my money at all, um, getting the thing up and running. Uh, I think I was into it all said for a couple thousand bucks, um, and that was all just stuff that I had to prepay. Um, some insurance and whatnot before I was collecting money out of the, the store. So. Can we talk about that for a second? Cause I mean, I think uh, a lot of people, the big obstacle for a lot of people is the 
finances to get into this business because it can be, you know, I mean, this is a this is a small laundromat that you purchased. It was all top loaders, and you know, I don't know how much money it was making, but you know, it probably wasn't a ton of money, and and still thirty five thousand dollars is, and that's cheap cheap laundromat, but that's still nothing to sneeze at, right? Thirty five thousand dollars still a lot of money. Um, so that barrier to entry can be pretty high for a lot of people. So can you talk about, I mean, so I'm assuming private investor is somebody that you, you knew or like family or friend or something like that. Can you talk about how you yeah. kind of even just had that conversation? You don't have to say who it was or anything like that, but like, how did you approach that conversation? How did you kind of make that, that partnership there? So I've actually uh, worked with this individual a couple of times before. Um, I have a few rental properties and it's easier to get started with an investor um, on a rental property just because if you can find the right deal on it, it's backed up behind the, uh, you know, the property. And so there is an, an actual physical asset there that you work with. But I mean, I've had pretty good luck. Everybody gets really freaked out about interest rates. Um, but in my experience, if you actually do the math on short-term loans, so you can offer really good interest rates to an individual and say, you know, if even if you're paying that person 12% interest, which is really good interest guaranteed, right? Over a year, that doesn't really actually cost you that much money. Um, so it's all about a balance of cash flow and what you can work out with an investor. But I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people get confused uh, or not confused, but tied up in the, the idea that everything has to be super, 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 super cheap. You know, we need a free laundromat. We need this. We need that. We need 4% interest rates. Well, that's not, that doesn't follow through. If, if you have the cash flow to justify it, then you can actually pay more money. And when you're willing to pay some more money, it's actually not that hard to find somebody that has 30 or 40 or $70,000 that they want to. Um, you know, do something with to make some money. I I love everything, every single beautiful word that just came out of your mouth. Cause uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, I think we get caught up in these numbers and I know, you know, even uh, Dan got that laundromat for quote unquote uh, free. It was quote unquote a free laundromat when he got it. Uh, and, you know, which is fine, but I love what you're saying that like, Hey, we get so wrapped up in, you know, the interest rate thing. Yeah. You know, it's all a math problem, right? So it's just a math problem. The interest right. rate, I, I tell people a lot, like I get it. Interest rates are significantly higher than they were even just two years ago, uh, everywhere. And especially in our industry. Um, but it's just a math problem, right? Like I almost don't care what the interest rate is as long as I can hit the numbers that I need to hit to make a deal work. Right. And, I think that you are hitting the nail on the head. And especially like, let's just say you bought this thing for $100,000 and you took it out over a year, right? It really only cost you, even at a 12% interest rate, that's that's $12,000, right? So, you know, in, in right. less than that. Yeah. Go and ahead. I get, uh, no, go ahead. I just, I feel like people, we need to put it in perspective. Like people only think in perspective, right? And so I always tell people like, okay, so say you borrow $100,000, 12% interest for a year, right? It costs you $12,000. And 
for $12,000, what would you buy for $12,000? Would you buy a business that's going to feed you? I mean, we can throw out some random numbers here, but you could make $75,000 a year for the next 25 years out of a laundromat. Is that worth 12 grand? I mean, it's worth 12 grand to me. All day, every so day. exactly like people, yeah, I will pay $12,000 for the revenue any day of the week. And I think people just get hung up in the big numbers, you know, where people can't, it's hard for people to understand big numbers as a, as a factual thing that's been studied. Um, but like you say, it's all just a math problem, figure out how to balance it out and make it happen. Yeah. And, and, and I'll even like, just to kind of add to that perspective, I'd, I'd even pay $12,000 to make $5,000 every year for the next you know, 25 years or what, right? It doesn't even have to be like the big numbers, right? That's still a, a yeah. really good return on my money. So um, awesome. Okay. I appreciate you kind of delving into that uh, with me there. Cause I, I, that's one of the big questions that I get a lot is that money question. And, you know, it sounds like what you did was you found a way to make it work for you and to make it work for an investor to where they're getting something that's lucrative for them. And you're getting something that's lucrative for you in, in, in the form of a business. Uh, so can you talk about, so you bought this thing, right? What was it like when you took over like day one, you get the keys. How, how did it feel? It was terrible. Was it like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was, it felt good. I mean, there's really, I don't know. There's, I don't know how you describe the feeling of saying, you know what, this is mine, you know, and to be fair. So I have a 24 hour unattended store. Right. And I know there's a lot of controversy over that. Um, but, uh, I didn't even have a key to the front door of my laundromat for six months till I got a lawn, uh, locksmith to come out and change the lock. Cause there was no key to it. So <laughs> I just had a bunch of money box keys and had to figure it out from there. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of, uh, there's a lot of steps to getting set up. Um, you know, you got to make contact with insurance people and um, just set up a business, set up an EIN, all this. Um, and it's not complicated. It's just there's a lot of stuff to do in those first month or two um, that I don't know. I enjoy that. I enjoy the business aspect of stuff. So that's not something that uh, is foreign to me. but. I, I tell everybody I play in laundromats. I just I do it for fun and the money's a fringe benefit, right? That's all, well, and I love that. I mean, I think that's a really great perspective to have, uh, especially kind of when you're getting in into that business. You know, at some point it, it might get a little more serious where you're like, okay, like this is like a this is cool. Like this is, you know, and and you really start playing uh uh fun, which is pretty fun. Um okay. Uh, so I, what I just said made no sense, but I like what you're saying. I love the, uh, I just play in laundromats and enjoying it, right. Enjoying the process. It's not, it's not a burden to you. It's just, it's something that you enjoy doing. That's all I'm trying to say. Something that I, I've noticed with a lot of, um, other small business people that I've worked with, like I said, when I was looking for an industry or whatever you want to say to get into, I said, I do not want to be more stressed out working for myself than I am working for somebody else. Cause that doesn't make any sense to me why you would move, you know, into something that gets you more. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's all different, right? When you're working for a nine to five job, 
end of the day comes and you can pretty much check out of it and you're done and you can't really do that with your own business. But, you know, I just said, Hey man, I got to have something that I can really enjoy what I'm doing and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. And building something for yourself too. And I, I feel like that, that building something for yourself is more important now than ever before. Uh, really, because I mean, everything is so wonky right now. Right. I mean, we talk about interest rates and, you know, inflation is going wild and prices. I guess that's inflation, but prices are going up on stuff and, you know, labor is hard to find and yada, yada, yada. It's like, you gotta, you gotta build something for yourself to have sort of that security too. So I like, I like that. Um, you mentioned, uh, that, that the, the, the asking price was 50,000 and you ended up settling on 35. Can you talk just a little bit about how did you how'd you go about that conversation? Because I, I think that's something that's really intimidating for a lot of people is to have ne- negotiation in general is is it can be very intimidating for people. Uh, so can you talk about how you had those conversations, how you guys came to that number, um, and both agreed to it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we had discussed a couple different numbers. I actually offered him, uh, I think, twenty five for it. I think I offered fifty percent of what he was asking. Um, because I said, you know, Hey man, if you don't have any books that you're willing to share on this, I mean, I'm taking a big gamble, you know, you kind of sell all the, the, um, bad parts of your position when you're doing that. And then he came back with his counter offer and he had a couple of, um, you know, the seller had said, well, if you do, if you want this and this, we'll do this price. And if you want a few more things then a little more money, um, And so it just, I think you're right. A lot of people really struggle with negotiating. And I see this a lot on the Facebook groups. Um, You'll see somebody post on there and they'll say, Hey, I contacted this guy um, or a landlord or something. Uh, The landlord thing kills me, right? Like a landlord sent us a lease that says, Hey man, this is a five-year lease. I don't know if I can justify buying a a laundromat on a five-year lease, but you can't, but did you ask for a 15 or 20? No. But talking on the internet and go out and tell the guy that you need a 15 year lease. That's exactly. Landlords rarely get you in trouble for telling you that you want to give them more money. So, but yeah, I mean, it's basically just a back and forth of, Hey man, this is what I can do. And this is what I can pay for it. And how does that work for you? And just finding a balancing point between what you need and what the seller needs. Yeah. And I, I mean, I like the, the, the selling, selling the negatives essentially, and, and kind of it's, it's really perspectives, right? Like, and going back to uh, starting to turn out to be a theme here uh, already, but right. It's like offering your perspective as the buyer and the seller's trying to sell their perspective as the seller. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the negotiation question is super important uh, or the topic is super important right now, especially because one thing that I'm seeing all over the place right now a lot of my consulting calls and just analyzing deals on my own is asking prices are higher now than ever before. And if you do no negotiations, you're paying top, you know, top of the market prices on, on laundromat acquisitions right now, um, all over the place, because that's just kind of where people are. That's how I'm seeing people position them. They're, they're asking high. And then if you don't negotiate, down to a reasonable number, you're, you're going to be overpaying for a lot of laundromats right now. So that negotiation thing, I think is, is crucial. I appreciate you sharing some tips. 
uh, on that. Yeah, definitely. I think also um, when you when you're selling something, the like it, it's difficult to see the negatives in something that you're selling, especially when we're talking about something. If this is a business that this person has worked in for 20 years or 10 years, you know, and it, they've been there every day, the like things normalize um, and it's hard to see those negatives. And they talk about buying and selling as a relationship, but nobody really like delves into what kind of relationship do you ne- need to have with a seller when you're trying to negotiate. And basically, I think it just comes down to you need to be honest about the situation. And if, um, if you can make a deal happen, great, but don't get so emotionally invested in it that like you, you end up making a bad deal just because, you know, it's the, the best one that you found in the first week of looking for one or something. Um, but if you go to a seller and you say, Hey man, listen, I know you haven't had any trouble out of your water heater for 20 years, but the reality is it's a 20 year old water heater, you know, stuff like that. I, I don't think that your sellers are necessarily trying to misrepresent things. It's, it's just hard to, see that when you're up close to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think you nailed that on the head for sure. And you know, it's, listen, I've sold laundromats before. I know like you pour your blood, sweat, tears into a laundromat and you're emotionally invested in it. It, A lot of times as a seller, it just means more to you and you see more value in it than there really is. And, you know, which is great because, you know, you should take pride in what you have and stuff, but uh, you know, as a buyer on the buyer side, you don't want to buy somebody else's problems and and pay for their problems, right? You want to anticipate those problems and negotiate uh, accordingly, you know, so that you can right. anticipate and handle those problems when they come up, which is awesome. Okay, uh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think, and I'm sure negotiations will come up again. Uh, here and we can talk more about it. But um, okay, so you bought this this laundromat. Did what was the plan coming in? Was the plan to just keep running it as is? Did you go in and make changes? What was the what was the plan after you bought this laundromat? So I knew from the outset that the equipment was basically shot. Um, I mean, it was a hodgepodge. Like I said, I had some fourth generation Wasca mats. I had a bunch of top loaders. I had some old Dexter washers. I had like four different generations of dryers that were, you know, just basically falling apart. Uh, but so I purchased this. I don't think I mentioned this, but I purchased this um, in the early spring of 2021. So we were coming right out of the COVID business. Um, everything was a mess. And I knew that I wanted to retool, but everybody was quoting outrageous lead times and stuff. So it ended up, um, I operated it the way it was. Uh, from May of 21 until January of 22 is when I finally got my first, I put 10 new washing machines in it. Um, I put, I think, seven 40-pound machines and three 60-pound machines in. And that was about all I was willing to gamble as far as money. Uh, plus, I'm not sure that anybody would have financed me for any more than that based off what the laundromat was generating revenue-wise. Um, so that was uh, seven or eight months that I operated it. Got those 10 new machines in um, and I did not. So we had a pretty decent customer base. There's a big apartment complex across the road. Um, It's in a good neighborhood. And I didn't feel like I was really bringing any value to that laundromat. 
during the time prior to putting new equipment in. I mean, I had spruced it up and we cleaned and like everybody wants to know how to make their, their, you know, we got this new laundromat. How do you make it better? Clean it. And when you're done cleaning it, clean it again and then clean it and clean it some more. And tomorrow start cleaning again. Um, but, uh, we ran it eight months and I never did do a price increase, um, which I don't know if that was the best best plan or not, but that's what I felt was appropriate since the machines were breaking down all the time and um, it just, it was kind of a mess. So we got the 10 new washers in that were, um, I didn't have any other large machines. The biggest machine that was already there was a 30 pound machine. So I got the new large machines in and raised prices across the board for the whole store. And that's really when things started taking off. And I said, hey, wait a minute. This place actually is going to make some like some legit money. Um, I can, you know, justify a much bigger remodel um, and actually fix up some of the infrastructure and so, uh, things like that. So that was January of 22. I ran with the equipment that was there from um, January, February, whenever we finished getting it in till um, March of 23 earlier this year. And then we shut the entire store down. Um, it's in a little strip mall. So we gutted it back to the outside walls, redid the plumbing, the sewer, the electric. Um, there's no walls still standing that were existing. Uh, basically we built a new laundromat inside of a, a box. So. Whoa. Okay. That's well. kind of the timeline. Yeah, we're going to need to talk about that in a second. Uh, but you touched on another big fear that I think a lot of owners have, or slash big question. Uh, and and I, I mean, I think fear is a good word for for a lot of people that that are in this situation, right? So you had this laundromat that had older equipment that was essentially shot, and then you and you ran it that way for a little while, and then you put new equipment in. And that purchase, that decision to purchase new equipment, can be a very scary one. Like equipment's not cheap, uh, right? And so no, it can be a not very, at all. Yeah, it can be a very scary investment uh, to make in your business. So, can you talk? And you don't have to give specific numbers if you don't want to. But can you talk a little bit about performance before you of the laundromat before you purchase equipment that seven months or whatever it was uh, versus after? And and talk about how having the new in- equipment impacted it? Was it a major impact? Was it, I mean, obviously it sparked something in you. So I'm assuming it was substantial. But yeah. Can so you talk a little bit about it. I had pretty well, I think the first couple of months that I purchased the store, um, I grew revenue. I don't know, maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars a month. Um, you know, it went up, but it was not by any means like a rocket ship, you know? Um, and we ran that way pretty much paying the bills, but not really making much of a profit at all. And then when I put that, uh, 10 new washers in, so the way this store was laid out, um, it has three bulkheads or it had three bulkheads of washers and we ended up replacing one entire bulkhead. So it kind of visually, um, just changed the whole curb appeal of the store. Um, you, it's got plate glass windows in the front. You can see, and it's got shiny new stainless steel equipment. Um, and I tripled revenue in three months. So, Jeez. yeah. And that's when I said, "Hey, wait a minute. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you tripled revenue in three months. That's yeah. That's wild. Okay. Well, do you think that that, I mean, okay, listen, results, not typical. Don't go out and buy all new equipment expecting that every time, but that's awesome. Cause I, I think that that does happen. Do you, do you think that that was, can you attribute that to, I mean, you said you raised prices across the board, so that's going to contribute to it. Uh, do you, do you feel like you gained a lot of new customers also when you did that? Or where do you, where do you think that tripling came from? Yeah, definitely a lot of it was um, it was new customers or re- returning customers. Um, this but part of the trouble that I have with I was all coin operated, right? And there's no way to tell what's going on in a coin operated store. Um, but just going off of the metrics of when you look at the cameras, there's a lot more people in there and. Like the guy that comes and cleans for me has to come and clean twice a day instead of once a day sort of thing. Like I know that the the customer base grew substantially. Um, Like I said, I'm in a really good location. I'm in a metropolitan area, but there's not, I think the next closest laundromat to me is like five miles away, four miles away, something like that. It's a, a pretty good drive as far as being in the city goes. So I'm somewhat of a captive market. Um, and, uh, you know, I did raise prices substantially because uh, they were not. Prices were low, low and all the machines were small. So what I have noticed is um, if you have all top loaders and 20 and 30 pound machines, people will come and shove 20 or 30 pounds of mach- laundry a lot of times into a top loader because they're easy to shove way too much laundry into. Um but then if you offer them a 40 or a 60 or an 80, a lot of times they'll come and put that same load of laundry into a 40 or a 60 pound machine where it belongs. So even if you're doing the same volume of laundry, if it's actually in the machines that it should be in, you're making better revenue off of it. Yeah. And that's, that's huge. And that's a, that's a huge opportunity. So if you find a laundromat, that's all top loaders or smaller machines like that coming in and being able to put in some newer equipment is a huge revenue driver. Um, and not only that, but guess what? When people are putting 40, 60 pounds of laundry in those top loaders or even the 30 pounders, you know, not only losing out on that revenue, but it's also wearing on those machines, uh, real hard. Right. Uh, yeah. They're not getting a good quality product. I mean, 60 pounds of laundry in a 30 pound washing machine does not wash very well. No. Uh, so even if the machine is functioning at top notch, they're still not getting a quality service for what they're paying for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, there's just so many benefits. So, um, okay. So you raise prices. What Do you have any sense? And again, it's hard to tell, right? But you have any sense of like, you gain some new customers. And the nearest laundromat you said was like five miles away or whatever. Where do those new customers come from? Do you have any sense of that? Um, so this apartment complex across the way is doing a major remodel. So they, but they really didn't start that until after, you know, most of this had occurred. Um, so I'm not sure. I think the reality of the situation is there's a lot of business out there to be had. Um, 
I don't think it's necessarily the old uh, um, build it and they will come model from Kevin Costner, but you know, there's a lot of business out there to be had. And if you are offering the best, um, the best service in your area, then you're going to pull business from places that you don't even know about. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And you know, it's interesting that the business that's out there, you know, a lot of who, who knows, right. Where they're doing their laundry, whether it's in like the basement of the apartment complex or they're driving the five miles or whatever it is. Right. But I think you're right. There is a lot of business out there to be had uh, that we miss out on when we're running like a zombie mat. Right. And people will do anything they got to do to avoid going to a place where they don't feel safe or that's not clean uh, or they're not sure the machines are going to work. Uh, you know, and it's amazing how when you start managing your laundromat properly and you're adding that value, like you talked about, where the people will start to come back. Did you, did you accompany this sort of partial retool with any kind of marketing at all? I did three or four months prior to the first round of machines. Um, and then there's a lot of areas that I do not manage. I have been unverifiable and have not been able to run a Google ad for a year and a half because I keep sending them information and they keep telling me I don't exist. So I haven't done any advertising since spring of 22 um i've got a google page i've got and honestly the google uh maps page google business profile that's where it's at just go get yourself a bunch of good reviews which you get if you have a good store and make sure your hours are up to date and that's where probably 50 percent of my business comes from yeah yeah and uh, again that's low hanging fruit. We've heard that over and over on here, like the lowest hanging fruit. If it, if you don't, if you haven't claimed your business, claim it, if you can, if they'll let you exist uh, in their eyes and, and being on, you know, getting on Google maps and getting on a Google listing so that when people search it, you're going to show up on the map and you're going to show up on the search engine results page uh, for your business there. And, Again, and, and those reviews are key also. So I, I love that you brought that up. Are you doing anything to get reviews proactively or are you just kind of letting them happen because you're awesome? They're just kind of happening. I've been looking at, uh, there's some of these places you can get the like QR codes where you can scan it and it takes you right there. I'm thinking about putting one of those on the door, but I haven't figured out yet. Yeah. It must be nice to be awesome enough for people to tell you how awesome you are. Me, on the other hand, I have to pause in the middle of a podcast interview and say, hey, if you haven't done it yet, go on whatever platform you are listening on and go give me a rating and review for this podcast. We love it. It helps us get it out to everybody else. So if you're not as awesome, you got to ask for it. Uh, but you are that awesome. So you don't have to ask. But those QR codes do work really well. And and posting them kind of around the store even too um, is is great. Um, okay, so you put in some new machines and your business is incredible. Now it's tripled the revenue, which is awesome. Um, were you making 
more money even after because you know you also got a loan. What did you buy them with a loan? The machines with a loan, or did you buy them cash? No, it's all been loaned through the um, manufacturer. Okay. So did your did your net income go up? Stay the same? Go down after you purchased those machines? It went up. So they covered their expenses plus you know more on top of that. So that is the goal, right? That's that's yep. the goal. And and again, it kind of goes back to our conversation about interest rates and stuff too, right? You can pay a higher interest rate if those machines are going to cover their expenses and some, right? And that's that's the goal. It's yeah. Fun fact, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, adjustable rate interest and what's happened in the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, but my interest rate on that loan has adjusted, I think, four and a half or five percent. And so, it's you know, anytime you can get fixed rate, that's definitely the way to go. Um, you know, there's we're still good price wise, but or you know revenue wise, but that's definitely changed the math equation um, with the crazy interest rate uh, movement that we've had, right? Like, who could have predicted that? Yeah, well, and just so everybody's on the same page and, and understands, like, normally when you think about like getting a mortgage for a house or something like that, you're getting a, a fixed rate, which means you get it at whatever percentage, right? A lot of people got it at like two or 3% for all those years leading up to the last couple of years. And then more recently, everybody's freaking out because interest rates are at six or 7% for buying a house, right? Um, but when you buy your house, it's going to stay at that percentage until you pay off the loan or until you refinance or something like that. Adjustable rate just means that uh, the the interest rate is usually associated with a number that fluctuates uh whether it's a prime rate or whatever it is right and so uh when it's associated with that when the prime rate or whatever it's fixed to goes up or down or whatever your interest rate can go up or down well guess what over the last couple of years we've seen interest rates do pretty much nothing but go up right and so that's why uh you know what ben's saying is his payments you know, used to be at whatever percentage and now the interest rates higher. So his payments are actually significantly higher than they were because interest rates have gone up. So whenever possible, get the fixed, uh, uh, fixed interest rates on any assets that you buy, but that's not always possible and it's not always necessary either. Um, but you know, it's one of those situations, like you said, nobody could have predicted what happened really. And so, but it's biting you a little bit on the butt. But luckily, you're still profitable. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about everything is a math equation when it comes to finances. So when you're looking at a loan, you just need to say, hey, look, this this is an adjustable rate loan. I know that. If it's this, you know, it's this interest rate they quoted me, fine. Okay, what does that payment look like? Let's say it goes up 2% in a year or two. What does that payment look like? Let's say it goes up 5%. Because once you do the first like it's just swapping out uh, metrics within your equation after you figure the base out. So just there's nothing wrong with an adjustable rate loan. Just do the math to understand what you're buying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So, and thank you for that sort of side note, because that's not really a side note. That's like a pretty critical oversight that I've seen people make where, you know, if you have tighter margins, then that one can really bite you in the butt and put you in the red sometimes. Uh, so thank you for bringing that up. 
All right. So you put in new equipment. You said in early, was it early 2022? Is that when you did it? Yeah. Early 22. Okay. And revenue tripled in three months, which is insanity. Uh, and have you done anything else to that store since then? Yeah. So I ran it with 10 new washing machines for about, uh, right at 12 months, I think right at a year. And it was the usual, this store was built in the sixties, um, had cast iron drain pipes, which were, you know, questionable. It had it, actually all the water lines had been replaced already. Um, but just the infrastructure was weak. Um, so we were looking at how to do the rest of the equipment and we were having, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And finally I was like, look, if we're going to do it, we're just going to do it the right way. So we completely gutted everything. Um, the people who look at, uh, lots of laundromats will understand this originally. And I'll send you a couple of pictures if you want to throw them in the podcast or something before and after, but it was originally bulkheads coming off of the sidewall, you know, with aisles in between them. And they were too, the aisles were too small to put larger front load equipment in because, you know, you'd get down to like a 30 inch, 36 inch aisle, something like that. And I said, that's not going to work. So we actually changed it to a shotgun style store where all the washers are on one side and all the dryers are on the other side. Um, so I ripped everything out. I've got uh, eight new washer machines. So I have a total of 18 washers in there. Um, and I've got uh, 20, 23 dryers. Um, so fun fact, I am a, about an 1800 square foot laundromat, right? I have three 80 pound machines in there and three 75 pound dryers. So That's people awesome. talk about those and they question, you know, should we put, should, should I put one in or two in or man, they make a lot of money. Yeah. Load, yeah. Load them up, load them up in there. And those, and those tend to be the highest margin uh, machines generally too, uh, which is good. And it, you know, it's really interesting. So the first laundromat I bought was the same format with the, it was, Long and skinny, sort of almost that bowling alley style, um, with the aisles coming off the edge. And, and I think I had like, I think I had five aisles coming off the, the sidewall there. And I seriously considered getting mine and redoing it similar to how you did it. Cause one of the problems that I was having was all those little aisles created these little like nooks or, trouble to happen that's sleep sleeping rooms yeah (laughs) you you get five homeless people in each aisle and curl up on your rug and it's good to go yeah and and what what i found too is like people couldn't look in from outside and make sure everything was good right because you couldn't see all the aisles from the outside and it did keep people from coming to that laundromat um you know for a long time until things finally got cleaned up and it was consistently a safe place to be. Uh, so yeah, it's a kind of an added benefit, but you probably lost some, did you lose any capacity there? Uh, Cause I feel like if you have those fingers coming off the wall, you can put more machines in there. So I went from 36 washing machines to 18 and I gained, I think I gained 40 or 50 pounds in capacity yeah. because I went to much larger machines you know, when you have a whole row of 15 or 18 or whatever they are pound uh, top loaders, like 
you have a lot of machines, but you don't have a lot of capacity. Um, so yes, I am down a significant number of machines, but it's, it works way better. And to your point about being visible, we get a lot of, um, you know, female people coming in and using our services and they all comment about how bright it is and how you can see in there and there's no place for anybody to hide and there's no like it's it's safe and it's comfortable for them and that's what you know that's what i was going for was to get rid of all those little weird spots that people could hang out and uh, just i don't want people hanging out in the laundromat i mean be your business and head out <laughs> yep yeah, yeah, that's that's critical. And and you know, to your point, so people a lot of times in like consulting calls or people just kind of talking to me or interested in in the business are always like, you know, oh, this laundromat has X number of machine, X number of washers, X number of dryers. Like, is that good or is that bad? Or and honestly, like I can't even tell you. Like, I, I don't even pay attention to how many machines there are in in a store because it's kind of a useless metric to me in terms of evaluating a laundromat the for me at least the much more insightful and valuable metric is that capacity how many total pounds of wash capacity and how many total pounds of dry capacity there are so when you uh, I loved when you say, you know, when you said, you know, I lost almost half the number of machines that I had, but I gained capacity. To me, I mean, I'm I'm back here smiling because that is what it comes down to in my mind is how much capacity there are. Uh, there is, uh, you know, provided you have, you know, I wouldn't want like a thousand pound machine and that's it, right? But uh, right, that capacity is the important number, really, to me. And there's definitely a balance because you need to get some some wisdom from somebody who has done a little bit of this um, because my distributor drew me up a really pretty picture that involved me buying 36 washing machines from him. And I don't believe that if I bought twice as many washing machines as what I have now, I would have twice as much revenue. What I would have is twice as big of a loan and probably about the same revenue that I have right now. So like there's a there's a balance to yeah, you need you need more capacity, but if you have too many machines, your turns per day go down and then well you've really you're actually losing here now because you spent too much money for the amount of revenue you can generate. Yeah. I mean that's it's that's so wise and uh and sophisticated way of looking at it, right? Is, you know, our, our job as business owners is to increase revenue while decreasing expenses and, and waste. Right. And so if you've got machines that are underperforming, you know, it's a waste, right? Like if you're doing one and a half, two turns a day on your machines, well, you just, you either don't have enough, well, you just, you don't have enough demand, right? At your store, right? And, and so you have a lot of waste and you're better off having half the number of machines and, you know, in the same revenue or more of a revenue than having uh, all these machines that aren't doing anything 95% of the day. They're just sitting there, right? Yeah. 
And even if you lose business, like, again, it's all a math equation. If you lose 10% of your revenue, that's, I don't know, a couple thousand bucks a month, maybe, who knows. But if you save $200,000 in equipment, like, I'll give you $2,000 a month to save $200,000 plus interest. Yep. So it's just, it's all math. Math is how business runs, is in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. That's why I tell my my kids uh, all the time. I'm like, there's some subjects where yeah, I want you to always do your best, but you have to be good at math, like math, reading, writing, speaking. Those are the things you have to be good in. The other things I want you to do the best you possibly can. Those subjects do the best you possibly can and also be good, even if it's better than you can, like just be good at it. So <laughs> I love that. Uh, okay. So so you gutted this store when you, I, out of curiosity, when you gutted this store and like redid some of the infrastructure stuff and reconfigured it and stuff, how did you finance that part of it? Cause that's not cheap. Um, so I had saved up some revenue, uh, out of the stores. I have not actually, um, pulled any, I've run expenses through the stores, but I have not pulled any salary out of my store. Well, so. I keep saying stores. We'll get to that in a minute. I actually just bought a couple more, but um, so I did not pull any revenue. Yes. Uh, I did not pull any revenue out of these. I saved up some revenue. I ended up uh, financing some of the construction costs along with the equipment loan through the equipment manufacturer, um, which they don't like to really mention that they can do, but pro tip, uh, you can definitely roll some of your uh, expense for the remodel into an equipment loan. Um, and then I just kind of, you know, ran the expenses through some credit cards and whatnot. And it, honestly, it really was not, um, we did a lot of work, but it wasn't super, super expensive. Yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, and, and that's, you know, for, for businesses, the business should be paying for itself. Right. And, and some. Right. And so, I, I mean, I love that. And I love that, you know, you were able to use the cash flow and, and roll some of that into improving the business, reinvesting that into the business to make it better and uh, hopefully more profitable for you. Okay. Well, you kind of tease us with the carrot. So, I, what do you mean you got a couple more? Let's what, to, to talk well, about what happened next. So I was on Facebook again, a lot of stuff off Facebook. It's for as bad as Facebook is for you. You can find some decent deals on there. Yeah. Um, and an individual in one of the laundry groups had mentioned he was selling some laundromats in my area. So I got a, um, got in touch with him and ended up buying two more, what basically amount to zombie mats um, last month. So we're definitely a small chain now. They're all branded the same. So I guess awesome. I can say I'm a chain store owner now. Um, but working through doing a remodel on those right now and getting some new equipment in and that's keeping me busy. Yeah. Yeah. You've joined the ranks of the elite multi-store owner uh, yeah. <laughs> group. Did you get your your invite with the secret handshake and everything yet? Or is that still? In the oh, yeah, definitely. But we can't talk about that on no, here. We can. We can. First rule of the laundromat club is no talking about the laundromat club, right? That's right. <laughs> Definitely not the secret handshake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, so, okay. So, 
so you found this off Facebook, which is awesome. Uh, what can you tell us a little bit about what that process was like? And you bought this, both of them from the same owner. Is that the case? Correct. Yeah. Okay. I bought two of them uh, at the same time, same deal. Um, it actually was a long, arduous process. Uh, I think I started talking to him in April and we closed the end of September. Uh, and it wasn't really that it was difficult to do. It's just everything moves really slowly. And um, I had some other stuff going on in my personal life that drug everything out. Um, but ended up negotiating owner financing with him. Um, so they're in leased buildings. Uh, he's keeping the, and that's actually something we should talk about. I see a lot of people going, I don't really want to have a leased laundromat. Well, I guarantee that nobody in the mall, you know, Sephora or um, Macy's, none of them own the mall. They're in leased space. Like there's nothing wrong if you get a good lease that's got a decent term on it. Get it. If it's a decent laundromat, it'll pay for itself. It'll make you some money and you don't have to worry about fixing up the building. Like, I don't know why people get scared about this uh, um, leasing laundromat spaces. I like real estate. I own real estate. Someday I'll own a laundromat that I own the real estate on, but that's not going to stop me from expanding the empire uh, if, if I need to be in lease space because lots and lots of people are in lease space. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've got both. I would definitely say I prefer to own the real estate when it makes sense to. But, you know, my perspective on it, I've shared this before, but my perspective on it is look, laundromats are a cash flow business. And as long as they're cash flowing, it doesn't matter if you're, if you have a lease or a mortgage that you're paying, right? Obviously, you know, again, if it makes sense, get that real estate for sure. But, you know, if you're in the laundromat business, you're in it for cash flow. Equity doesn't build as quickly. With laundromats as it does for real estate. So you're in it for the cash flow and or some of the tax incentives uh, that you can get for for owning laundromats. Uh so yeah, I'm I'm hundred percent with you. Like if it's a lease space, <clears throat> but it's cash flowing and you're you're hitting the numbers you need to hit, then for me it's like, yeah, no brainer. As long as the lease is good and all that. Yeah. All those um, so this this particular deal. Uh, this fella had a, actually quite a large, I think he had 12 or 13 laundromats um, all across the whole way bigger footprint than what I would want to operate. And I'm a long distance from my store. Um, but uh, he was selling them all. He's retiring out. He's been doing this since the 80s. And his business plan is, hey, I'm selling the stores now. I'm going to ride that cash for a while. Then I'm going to sell the property. So I actually have a lease that gives me first right to buy it um, nice. with a good like. Um, the whole thing, the clause is written well, so I'm not going to get, um, you know, been out of shape when he goes to try and sell and thinks it's worth $10 million or something crazy. So um, that's good. And like I said, I like real estate. I'll, I'll keep buying real estate, but don't let it get, if that's your barrier to entry, that's not a something I'd be too worried about. Um, so lease space, um, owner finance, gave him a down payment that uh, basically cash flowed out of the other store. So I essentially bought two laundromats for nothing uh, and just stepped into them and started uh, pulling quarters back out again, which I'm telling you, it's been a while since I pulled quarters out and I forgot how much of a pain in the butt that is. <laughs> Sorry to all you quarter loving people, but man alive. Yeah. 
Definitely on the management side, it is significantly easier to just mix the quarters all together. Uh, can, uh, can we talk about the owner? I mean, owner. everybody's looking for owner financing, right? How did that conversation come up? And how did negotiations go with the owner financing side of things? So, honestly, like everybody wants to know how you, how negotiations, like, uh, the, I think I said this before, but the best thing that I have to offer on that is just tell people the truth. He sent me over his financials and they showed that these two businesses were generating a lot of revenue, um, a lot of top line revenue and virtually no net profit. And I called him up and I said, hey, man, I can't get a loan on these. Like there's no bank that's going to finance me buying these two businesses that don't I mean, they may, they were showing some money, but, and he's like, yeah, well, you know, those are the numbers. And I, laundromat numbers are always interesting to look at. I think that there's a lot you can read in between the lines, but uh, I said, Hey man, if you want me to buy these, you got to finance them for me. And he said, okay. I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a hard sell. You just got to say the right, like, this is this is where I'm at, and if we can make a deal, this is what you're going to have to do to help me with that. Yeah, I I do uh, I do a webinar just about every single week, free webinar, onmatresource.com/events if you want to join it. Uh, but one of the things I talk about is how to get owner financing, and I have the best way to get owner financing is ask the owner if they're ask right. the owner. <laughs> that's it. I mean, and, and but that's you know for a lot of people, especially with your first deal, like it's a scary ask for some reason. I don't know why it's scary, but it feels scary uh, to ask for a lot of people. But that is the best way to find out if somebody's willing to finance all or part of a deal is to ask them uh, if they're willing to finance uh, that deal. And I think, so my negotiating philosophy is ask for everything and get what you can get. So I had asked this guy, um, I said, hey, look, these these stores are pretty rough. I'm going to have to go in and do a fair amount of remodel work. Can you give me some rent abatement, which is, you know, where you don't get charged rent for so long while you're doing this? And, oh, no, we can't do that. Rents, you know, rent is what it is. I said, all right, then I'm going to need some interest only payments on the the loan against the the business. Sure, we can do that. That's no problem. As long as I have rent, you know, he wanted rent checks going into his property management company. That's fine. That's what he needed. Well, what I needed was, interest only. So I got 12 months interest only. Um, so I'll just throw some numbers out here. You know, the economy's bad. Interest rates are up. It's hard to find deals, right? I bought two stores last month, which was well, actually two months ago. It was uh, September 26th, I think, 2023. Uh, 4% interest, 12 months, interest only payments, freaking small down payment. It can be done. I'm telling you, you got to go out and find a good deal and then negotiate it, but it can be done right now. Yeah, that's... uh, Well, first of all, thank you for sharing numbers. I mean, I think that people always want to hear those numbers because you you, well, maybe you wouldn't be surprised uh, coming from a a YouTube famous laundromat. Uh, But I'm not surprised anymore, but I was surprised early on at how many times people will say, you know, you can't, you can't do that. Like you can't get owner financing. You can't get those terms anymore. Like, you know, and even I, I was just speaking at a real estate investor meetup 
uh, a couple of days ago. And I was just talking about laundromats and how they're valued. And people are like, nobody's going to sell you a laundromat that's making money at, you know, at that multiple. And I'm like, well, I mean, I've done it and I talk to people every single day who are doing it. So yeah, they will. <laughs> like they will, they will. Right. And so, you know, I appreciate you sharing the numbers and, and just saying, Hey, this is doable. This is possible because there are minds until you've experienced it and done it or heard it enough times. A lot of times our minds just like put up these barriers and these walls. They don't let us, you know, be creative as to what's possible. And, and the key, tell me if you agree with this or not and feel free to disagree with this, but I think the key to like being able to get terms like that in today's market where, I mean, really interest rates are in like the 11, 12% right now in, in, you know, in our, our sphere, in our industry and being able to get, you know, terms like that on a loan. The key to doing that is to just figure out what it is the seller wants and needs and structure a deal to help them get what they need. Right. And if you can do that, the terms matter to the seller. Uh, it's it's really the needs that they have that matter. Yep, that is definitely it. And like I said, it's all about that conversation and figuring out what you need and what the seller needs and how to make a deal that fits both of those to the best that you can make it. And I think a big part of it is, um, like you said, don't be afraid to ask for stuff and um, just you have to be negotiating from uh, a, for back of lack of a better word, from a place of abundance. Like you have to know that money, like money is an illusion. Um, and I know that when you don't have any money, it doesn't seem like that, but you know, as well as I do, like when you start talking about business valuations, you create money there, you create uh, wealth for lack of a better term. And so once you can wrap your mind around the fact that money money is an illusion then you can start to do these kind of different structures and you can say oh well you know it doesn't really matter um it doesn't really matter what the num or the name assigned to the number is it's whether or not the numbers all align it's like it always drives me nuts when i get a quote from my distributor right they line item out all these things right like installation is one charge and removal of the old equipment is another charge and delivery is another charge give a hoot like i don't care what you're charging me to throw it on a truck i want to know what the how much is it going to cost for me to get 10 machines taken to my store and put in that's what what's that number whatever you want to line item it out as i don't care it makes no difference to me um as long as the the bottom line number makes sense for what i'm trying to do yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes back to that. It's it's all a math equation, right? And I I mean, dude, the money is, is an illusion thing is one of the most powerful mind transformations that I ever had when I, you know, and I think I, I want to say I first encountered it uh, in the book, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, which is an awesome book. If you haven't read that, uh, anybody listening to this, if you haven't read it, you should for sure, read it or or listen to. I love the audiobook version actually uh, of it. But one of the things he was saying is, uh, and where it hit me was he was talking about <clears throat> uh, like a king building a palace. Like it costs money to build a palace, but then he's like, 
and and you pay all the employees and everything. And he's like, well, is the wealth gone? No. Now the wealth is in the palace and it's probably worth more than you than it costs you to build it. And not only that, it's creating a place for other people to build businesses. And so now there's more wealth in the area and it makes the, the area more valuable. And you know, and it works like that. And and it's true, like you you create wealth. It's an it's fake. It's fake money, right? It's fake news, right? Uh maybe that's triggering for people. Uh but you know, it's fake. It's an illusion and it can be created out of out of thin air, out of nothing, right? And we've been seeing that a lot happening uh with like inflated real estate prices. I think the value of my house, you know, quote unquote, uh went up like 40% over the last 2 years or something like that. It's worth a ridiculous amount of money now. Uh right? But it's all it's an illusion. It can be created, it can be destroyed. Uh, and once you learn that, then you can figure out ways to create wealth out of nothing. I think the the whole home market, I mean, I think everybody kind of has an idea what the home market has done. So it's an interesting thing to talk about um, because I, I really believe words are very important, right? Um, wealth is one thing. Money is a different thing. Revenue is a different thing. Profit, different thing. And people use all these terms interchangeably and they're not. Um, so let's think about your house for a minute, right? So your house, let's say it was a $200,000 house, which I know you out there in California, $200,000 house is like the back of somebody's Geo Metro or something, but you can't even get say it. it's a 200, even build an ADU for a, a granny suite for 200,000, but yeah, go ahead. I get you. Yeah. <laughs> but say you, you buy a house for whatever amount of money, right? 10 years ago today, it's worth double that. So it's 200,000, now it's 400,000, right? You go to sell that house, you're like, hey, I made a lot of money. And then you go to buy another house. Yeah. And you what you were actually did is you were in, say, a two-bedroom, one-bath house, and you sold it for whatever dollar amount that you got. The only thing you can buy is a two-bedroom, one-bath house. But did you make any money? No, the number just changed, but like the the value didn't change. Yeah. Um unless you arbitrage and, locations, that's that's yeah. the difference. Like I, you know. I can't, I can't afford half the houses in the area anymore around here. Uh, it's wild, right? And you're not getting anything under seven figures. That's for sure. Uh, in this area, in this neck of the woods. And so the only way that would make sense would be if we sold our house and then moved to Tennessee. Right. I mean, that's why there's California right. is all over Tennessee and Texas and Arizona and Idaho, right? That's why we all go out there and make everybody else mad because we inflate their prices. Uh, and so they can't afford houses anymore, but it's because it's the only thing that makes sense, right? If we're going to do that. So it's, it's wild, yeah, man. for sure. The wild thing. But, uh, okay. So you got, you got seller financing, uh, deal over there. You picked up these two laundromats. How were, I mean, were they performing? Were they making money when you took over? Or are they underwater? What's that like? So, um, between the two of them, I think he was showing like 50,000 a year, um, net between two stores so they were barely i mean they were making a lot more than that gross but one of them's attended and does wash and fold so it has pretty high expenses um the other was an unattended store that ironically was more profitable than the attended store um less uh less top line revenue but certainly better profit yeah, um, but i mean a couple yeah. couple hundred dollars a month uh, <laughs> revenue per store um so where did you, when I did the other one, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I said, when I did the other one, um, you know, it took me two and a half years to do the remodel and all this. And I said, if I do another store. 
I'm just going to remodel it. And like, I kind of feel like I lost two years of, uh, where I could have been making higher revenue because I moved so slowly, but it was kind of proof of concept. First one I did, you know, get your feet wet. Um, so the smaller unattended store I just bought is going to have all new equipment in it. Um, and again, we're going to cut back on the equipment cause it was a bunch of small machines and I put bigger ones in, but, uh, the other store we're going to end up doing kind of in a couple phases, I think just cause it's not as bad of equipment. Did you find that your numbers after you took over aligned with what he said they were? Actually, yeah, they were pretty close. Um, I mean, as far as I can tell, I only uh, collected for about a month before I shut the one store down right. to get new equipment put in it. So, yeah. Uh, how long are you shutting it down for? <laughs> well, my two week install has turned into, uh, I think this is week five. Okay. So until it's done, what's the, what's holding it up? Um, well, so the original problem was we, I was going to put a couple 80 pounders in there, which was going to involve ripping an entire door out, which you didn't really want to do. When the install guy came down, he's like, you can't even put them in here because the concrete's not thick enough. So then I had these 80 pound machines that I had ordered that I had to do something with. So we ended up putting them in the second store. Uh, these two stores are only about seven minutes apart. Uh, so it's pretty convenient, but we kind of ended up, uh, working about two weeks on the one or a week or so on the one store and then going to the other store and working about a week there. And, uh, then I work, a, I still work a nine to five job, but it's not really a nine to five job. I'm on a 14 day rotation. So, um, I kind of didn't get much accomplished during my 14 days that I worked. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Those are the, those are the things that come up and you're like, Oh my gosh, like how could I have anticipated when I did the major, when I did the major remodel in the the first store, my plan was to be closed for 30 days. Ah, That turned to three and a half months, but what do you do? Yeah. Well, that's, that's just the way it goes. Right. And, but you know, you're, you've got that experience now. Now you know about the concrete pads that you need. You got to have thicker pads for bigger machines and you know, all that drain lines are going to be another one that people run into where you're like, Oh my gosh, these 80 pound machines are pushing out a lot more water and I need bigger drain lines. And sometimes that doesn't line up, you know, all that stuff that you just kind of learn either by doing it or by tapped into somebody who's already learned all these lessons and trying to shortcut yep. your, your timelines. But even then there's always stuff that comes up all the time. Oh yeah. I, I have a reasonable amount of experience in construction. I've done residential work and uh, a little bit of con- commercial stuff. And like, I don't care what your project is, whatever your budget is, add 10 or 15% to it. Cause you are like, you can't plan for everything, whatever your timeline is have some flex in it. Um, you know, just, you can't get that stuff's going to happen. There's no sense in being bent out of shape about it and getting all, you know, just plan for plan for the unplannable and then life goes smoothly. Yeah. I like that. I've got a lot of quotes I've been writing down from this. This is you're, you're good. I like it. Uh, one other thing I want to ask you about, uh, before we move into the next section of the podcast is uh, you mentioned that you're kind of 
uh, a little bit of a distance from your laundromat. How far away are you and how are you managing that distance? So from me to the original store is about a 55 minute drive to the north of where I live. Um, and I live, uh, I'm in Indiana, so that's like 60 miles that I can make in 55 minutes. Um, the two new stores like six are, yeah, I know out there in California, you're like getting on the interstate takes a half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, but then the two that I bought are actually about 40 minutes to the west of me. Um, so I, between the triangle, if I leave my house and I drive to all three stores, it's a three hours uh, in the vehicle with no stops. Um, so kind of the way I'm managing that, um, I went away from quarters completely. Uh, the two new stores are still, uh, well, the, the one that's getting, getting all new equipment is going to be completely quarterless. And then the other store is going to be hybrid until I can get all the equipment replaced. But uh, I'm using a card system, which I don't love every aspect about the card systems. I didn't see anything. Um, I think if you're trying to take store-wide credit card acceptance, I didn't see any system that I thought was really better than kind of the loyalty card model with a kiosk and an in-house account and all that. I know there's a bunch of different um, at the machine style payment systems. But they all have their own set of problems. And so this works for me, um, especially with the distance that I'm at. Um, like I can't be up there at a moment's notice. Um, so I've got a guy that cleans. He comes in and cleans basically as needed, but usually it's once or twice a day. Um, and other than that, I go up there and fix machines and what uh, whatever else needs spruced up. And everything else that operates that store is off my cell phone. So I have a Google Voice number that rings my phone. I have access to my card system through my phone. So it's completely operated remotely. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and I think it's becoming more and more doable to to edge out that radius of where you need to you know, live, uh, obviously closer is easier for when stuff does come up. Um, but there's something to be said, and I've never really heard anybody talk about this, but something I've been thinking about a little bit lately, there's something to be said about being a little bit further and forcing you to get creative on how you operate your business and forcing you to use tools that are going to help you automate. Uh, and, uh, I don't, I don't know. I just, I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, where sometimes we can get lazy and I'm like, well, I'm like 15 minutes down the road. So I'm just going to run over there and take care of this thing real quick or whatever, instead of putting a system and a process in place to handle those issues uh, when they come up so that you don't have to do those long-term because, you know, 15 minutes each way turns into 30. And then you do that a few times a week and you do that over years. And actually it adds up to a whole lot of time. Uh, whereas if you can put a system in place, uh, or at least some backstops that, you know, before it hits you, it goes through this process. Uh, it, you know, your mechanic or your, your cleaner takes care of problems or whatever it is, right? Before it comes to you, uh, and you limit those, those quick trips. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's something to be said about that. Uh, but I don't really hear anybody talking about that. So 
Yeah, I actually think um, like I think one of the best things to to encourage owners to do is get the heck out of your store. Like I see a lot of people on some of the under not Facebook groups and other places that talk about what I can like. And everything makes sense to the people who are doing it. But I look at some of the stuff that I see on there and I think that is the most ridiculous thing that I have ever like heard of anybody do. I saw somebody on there, they were having a long discussion about whether or not they wash all the quarters that they get out of their change machine. Like, I don't have time to do that. That's like, and maybe you've got really finicky coin acceptors, but my gosh, can you imagine how long that takes? And have you ever tried to dry a bucket of quarters? It takes forever. Get out of your store, get some ideas on how to to make things more efficient and make things more user friendly and don't don't be so close to it that you can't see the forest for the trees and all that stuff. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's the double edged sword of some of those Facebook groups. And, you know, one thing I love and I, I talked about this recently on a podcast episode, but. One thing I love is that there's more information available now than ever before on how to buy and run these businesses. You know, a decade ago, there really wasn't anything out there. And, you know, part of the reason I ran into some of the problems I ran into is I couldn't, I just couldn't find information on how to do it. And I didn't know how to do it. Uh, well, now we have more access to information and people in the industry than ever before, which I love. But the double edged sword side of that is, you know, not everybody's input and advice is equally valuable and equally uh, should be considered equally, right? Uh, and sometimes, especially if you're new, it can be difficult to discern what voices to listen to and and not. So that is something to be aware of and a good point you're making. Yeah, I definitely, and I have to give you flowers um, between you and Dave Mins, like and Williford Brothers and. Keenan and uh, oh, chock full of quarters. All these people on the internet are the only reason that I'm as successful at this as I am. To, uh, totally honestly, like there's more information that you can glean from podcasts and YouTube and I'm I'm I don't know. I hate Facebook. The only reason I'm still on Facebook is because of the owners groups that are on there, and I'm even debating whether that's. Like those, those are valuable. I'm not sure that it's worth putting up with Facebook to get that value. Um, but yeah, definitely there's so much information on the internet. All you have to do is go look for it. Yeah. Uh, agreed hundred percent. Okay. We've got a segment. That, first of all, thank you again for sharing all that. So I, mean, this has been already an incredible episode. Uh, so we had a section of the podcast called down to business and that's just where we chat about some of the details of your business, a lot of which we've already talked about actually. So remind us again, location of your, your mats ish. So uh, the main one's up in Indianapolis, Indiana, and then I've expanded over into Bloomington, Indiana. So Midwest foreign country. Who's your town? Love it. Yep. Uh, good. And you've got three laundromats now. Yep. Has We didn't really talk about this, but, did did things change significantly for you going from one to three laundromats? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I have been head over heels trying to catch up with myself for a month and a half. Now I went from one laundromat that I, so 
the whole card system thing, uh, it allows me the longest I have been between uh, setting foot in my laundromat is 14 days that I have not been to my laundromat. So I went from that to basically having to be at these other ones two or three times a week. Uh, I went from having one part-time cleaning guy to having five employees who I've had a couple quit. I've had all this stuff in a month, um, trying to get caught up with all the business side of it and also doing a remodel at the same time. I do not necessarily recommend jumping in as much as I jumped in, but I'll overcome and six months from now, it'll all be better. Yeah, it's definitely a big, uh, a big jump going from one to more than one, uh, for sure. And especially when you're, it's kind of like, uh, having a kid and then having twins, <laughs> you know, you're like, uh, okay, this is a whole new ball game now, uh, that you're dealing with. But I, I think, like you said, like it'll, you've got to shift. It's a different, a little bit different skill set and it's, you've got to rely more on those systems and processes and you've got to, Get those other two laundromats up to speed, right? And get them running on the systems that you're used to and you know, get them remodeled and all that stuff. But I do think that once you kind of get things going, you'll be yeah, you'll be better. Uh yep. Because that, you know, it's not gonna be sustainable doing it the way you're doing it right now, or you know, that you're having to do it right now. Uh, right. Long term. So uh, awesome. Okay. And you've been in the business for a couple of years now, two and a half. This year, yeah, three, two and a half or so, half three, um, and then your you've got one of your new ones is unattended. One is is it partially attended or fully attended? Uh, it's partially attended because I don't have enough staff. It it should be fully attended. That's the way the store is laid out. Um, but with like I said, I had a couple people quit for whatever their reasons were, um, and so it's intermittently attended uh, as best as the the people that I've got can cover it. Yeah. And then original one is unattended. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the one that's partially attended, like it's gated off. So the, the actual laundromat part of it is open from six to 10. And then they just open the back half for uh, the wash and fold. So. Awesome. Are you doing wash and fold just out of the one? Yes. That's a whole new venture for me as well that's that like, I picked yeah. up. So I, I don't know how I feel about that quite yet. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's a, that's another, right. Like I think, I think people don't always understand that like when self-serve laundry is like one thing and it's almost like a different business to do wash and fold. And especially if you add on pickup and delivery, then you're like totally different. Right. We're not even, we're not even talking about that right now. Yeah. Yeah. But even just the wash and fold, like you are now taking responsibility for other people's like thousands of dollars of other people's clothing and you're responsible for it and you need to clean it and you need to keep track of it and you need to make sure it gets back to them. Uh, you know, and all, all that stuff. Right. And so you've got that service side of the business that you don't have with the, with the washable. So not only did you add two new laundromats, but you kind of added a whole nother business, uh, and, and a whole nother skill set, uh, on top of it, uh, along with it. So yeah, you are glutton for punishment, man. Well, sometimes you just, I, I've said, you know, this would be a lot more convenient if I'd bought these three or four months from now, but you buy what's available when it's available and make it happen. Right. Right. Make it happen. 
how many hours do you think you're spending? Well, can you tell us this before you bought these two? How, how many hours were you spending after you got things humming? And then after you bought these two, how many hours do you think per week you're spending? So prior to the purchase, I had it down to probably one to two hours a week. Um, that I not including drive time, but like actual doing, and that was complete like doing the books, paying the bills. Uh, running up to pull laundry or pull money out, fixing machines, which I have all new machines. So I don't, I mean, I've occasionally got to clean a drain valve or something, but really they haven't done much on me. Uh, so probably one to two hours a week. And then now that uh, with this other two, probably 60 hours a week, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> that's a big yeah. That's a big jump. Oh, and it's tough, you know, and you mentioned that like some people quit, which is typical, by the way. And sometimes a blessing in disguise too, uh, when people quit, uh, when you first take over a laundromat. So hopefully that's the case. But, uh, you know, when people are, you know, quit and you've got two new businesses and they're not set up right and you're trying to remodel them and you're trying to learn this other side of the business on the, you know, the fluff and fold side and, yeah, that's that's tough though. Going from one to two hours to sixty hours—that's a big, that's a really big jump. My struggle, like like I said, I've I'm pretty handy. I've done a lot of construction work, and I have to keep telling myself, like, I need to hire somebody to do that. I, you know, I can do drywall. I'm not efficient at doing drywall. I need to hire a drywall guy. I need to hire an electrician for all this stuff because, like, what I might do in my house is a little bit different than you know, what you need to do when you're now you're on the clock and you're, you're trying to beat your lost revenue, right? Like it, yeah, it may cost me this much, but if I get this place open two weeks earlier, that's a lot more revenue that I'll gain. And how does that offset, uh, you know, paying to get all this stuff done. So yeah, math equation again. And, and, you know, I, it's honestly, man, like I'm pretty handy and been like a big time DIYer. uh, you know, for the majority of my life. And it's actually it's a blessing on one hand, but it's also a curse on the other hand, because just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. You should. And yeah, I think like renovations and stuff would fall into that bucket for me. Repairs even fall into that bucket for me. Uh, you know, and that mindset shift is a tough one for me to make. And I just, I know if I'm not proactively like, should I do this? I know I can. Should I do this? Then I ne- I just naturally fall back into doing stuff uh, on my own, even when I probably shouldn't be. Doing it. So these uh, two new stores are both the the drains are like a pit style, you know, where they kind of have a collection point. And I was thinking, oh, you know, I could bring my pressure washer over and clean those out and do all this. And they're like, nah, like it's gonna cost me three hundred bucks to get a septic guy out here to clean these out or something. Like I'm just yep. gonna hire somebody. Yep. Yep. It's a it's a trap, man. It's a trap. Uh, yep. Last question of the uh, down to business is: What are the plans? Like, do you? And maybe it's too soon from getting these other two, and you got to see how this all shakes out. But you have any plans to, you know, get more or get rid of these two now? <laughs> what do you What are you thinking for I mean, the future? If I can get these two settled in as well as I got the other one settled in. Um, I mean, once you you've got all the systems and stuff humming along, it doesn't take all that much, um, you know, hands-on activity to manage them. I'll probably be out looking for another one. Um, 
shoot, I may be out looking for one now because if it takes six months to buy it, I'll have these up and running by then. So, you know, I figure I had a friend of mine text me the other day. He says, how many laundromats do you want? I said, eh, all of them. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just here having fun, man. I love it. All of them. All of them. Well, I, you, you're, you're an addict. And, uh, you know, as long as you can acknowledge that. No doubt. Very good. Welcome to the club. First step to recovery, I hear. That's right. Well, it tends to not actually be the case uh, because once once you start telling people how many laundromats you want, all of them, deals start falling in your lap. And, and you know, so it, it may just be a slippery slope that you just got to come to grips with. I don't know. It's been the case for me, at least. Yep. Fall deeper into the hole. Uh, we got another segment of the podcast called Secret Sauce. And that is... What's what's your best tip for those of us who own laundromats to maybe something that's working for you uh, to help us all improve our businesses? I think that, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of things I could say. I think never stop improving yourself. Like if you're not reading books or listening to podcasts or, you know, get yourself a mentor, that's something I haven't done yet. But, you know, I've talked to a bunch of people, so I kind of feel like I've got some mentorship from them, but I, everybody that I hear says, um, you know, you can accelerate your journey and you're learning so much by having somebody that's a few steps ahead of you. Um, but like I said, if you're not learning and growing all the time, then you're stagnant and that's no good. Um, but also, like I said earlier, get out of your store, go take a management class, go, you know, like, don't get so wrapped up in being a worker bee that you can't be a good manager. Um, it's a totally different skill set. Um, and raise your prices. That's what I tell everybody. I don't care where you are. You raise your prices by 10%. If you didn't raise them last week, they need to go up by 10%. We're in an inflationary economy. Um, Dude, I, I love every single piece of advice you just gave. Uh, you know, what's funny is that I don't know that Whenever I've done the secret sauce, I don't know that anybody has started off focusing on like yourself, like focus on yourself, improve yourself, right? It's always been about the laundromat, which is great. Uh, but listen, ultimately you could have the best laundromat in the world, but if you're not the, if you're not, if you haven't made yourself into the kind of person that can run a successful, profitable laundromat, then eventually that laundromat, even if it's the best in the world right now, will dwindle because uh, you're not the right, you're not the person who can manage it. So I love never stop improving yourself. I love all, all three of those pieces of advice, actually. Uh, great stuff. All right. We got another segment called pro tips and that is, Hey, what's one piece of advice you have for somebody who is maybe looking to get their first laundromat? Maybe you two and a half years ago, or, you know, just somebody looking to get their first laundromat. Um. So this is kind of kind of sound strange from a guy who bought two long, well, three laundromats off the internet. Um, but first thing is get off the internet. Like the internet's great. You can learn a lot on the internet. Um, go out and get in some laundromats. Go stand in a laundromat. Go stand in 10 laundromats. Do some laundry. Talk to some guys that own laundromats. Like, honestly, my best tip for whether it's negotiating or finding a business or doing something is, I don't know if you've noticed, but most people like to talk. If you go into a laundromat and you can find the owner that's in that laundromat, if you just stand there and keep your mouth shut, they will probably tell you everything there is to know about that business. And even better, find yourself a nice older lady attendant 
and you'll know everything that's going on in the entire neighborhood um, if you can just stop talking long enough to listen to what they they have to say. Yeah, I love that. The the boots on the ground and the listen first is, I mean, you're absolutely right. That is the, oh, man, I, this is genuinely, I'm not even just saying this because you're on the podcast, like face to face. This is like one of my favorite episodes. Thank you for coming on. All right. Last, one, yeah, go one, for it. one other thing for a new guy. When you do get a laundromat, Clean your dryer vents. Clean your dryer you wouldn't believe what's in your dryer vents. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And chances are pretty good that the previous owner hasn't cleaned them in a very, very long time. Uh, so, yep. Yeah. And that's not the screens. That's the vents. Right. The vents. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, all right. What's uh, our last segment before we start to wrap this thing up is... Recommended resources. What resources do you recommend for people to help them either grow themselves and or their businesses? Um, I have been, as I'm sure you can imagine, I spend a lot of time on the car now. Um, So I've been on a podcast kick. I've got um, obviously your podcast. I listen to all your episodes. Um, The Laundromat Millionaire podcast, the Willifer Brothers. Those are all great in industry. I have several that I listen to out of the industry. I've got one that I really like right now. That's called the action Academy. Um, it's a guy that talks about real estate one. and buying businesses. And I've been on that one. And Brian Lubin's a good, Actually, he just texted I me. I think I've heard that one. And he's got, well, while we're doing this interview, he's got a book coming out uh, tomorrow when we're doing this interview. So it'll be out by the time this episode comes out. So I'll have a link to his book. You got to go check it out. Brian Lubin, awesome guy, left his W-2, traveling the world, living his best life. Good buddy of mine. Sorry, go ahead. For sure. I got excited. And he, he does a really good podcast. Like, you know, it's very listenable. Um, I've been hooked on one that's called, uh, I think it's the uh, Second in Command podcast. It's kind of an operations, uh, it's way higher level than most of your laundromats are going to be. It's multi-million dollar companies, but I feel like that gives you good perspective. Uh, you know, I think you need to kind of learn a little bit from a lot of places and that gives you uh, good ideas to implement in your business. So um, I also know that I think that's probably, and they also have a good book. I'll link to all that stuff in the show notes for everybody. But yeah, definitely, uh, definitely keep doing your podcasts and books and whatever to keep learning something. Awesome. Goes right back to that uh, secret sauce of keep improving yourself, keep learning. Uh, ben, man, this genuinely, this has been one of my favorite episodes. I am just jiving with the way that you're thinking about things and the way that you're putting things. You're very good at uh, succinctly uh, summing up points. And I've I've literally written down probably 15 quotes uh, from you just furiously scribbling uh, notes. So, uh, Incredible episode. Last question I have for you is other people are also jiving with what you're saying and what you're doing, even more importantly, uh, in growing your businesses. What's the best way they can get a, uh, get a hold of you, get in contact with you? Now, probably Facebook's the best way. Uh, just been Higginbotham. Uh, I'll send you a link. You can put it in the show notes um, or uh, you can send me an email. It's Michigan Street Laundry at gmail.com. Uh, easy to get a hold of me. So I'm happy to talk to people. I don't know that I have all the advice, but I'll tell you what I know for sure. So. Oh, you know what we ought to talk about for a second? 
Tell me. Vend prices. Yes. Vend prices. I forgot to ask you about that. Yeah, let's talk about vend prices to wrap it up. I like it. People have no idea how they price their laundromat. Have you ever noticed that? I have definitely noticed that. I have all of my machines priced on a per pound uh, pricing steam. So I'm at 17 and a half cents a pound, Um, which what cracks me up is people will happily charge that for their small machines. And then they'll cut themselves in half or even more than that on a big machine. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't understand why people are doing that because if the value is there to turn a small machine at 17 and a half cents a pound, value should be there to spend a big machine at that or close to it. So um, that puts me, you know, I, I may have some of the highest VIN prices in the U S I don't know. Um, but it's way better than what, uh, what a lot of guys are getting out of their big machines and, uh, like my 80 pound machine. So I have, uh, Alliance, which has all the cycle modifiers, right? So my 80 pound machines start at 1450. And if you get all the cycle modifiers on it, it's $18 a load. And you know what? They spend all the time. Dude, that is awesome. I I love that. It, I mean, I don't think there's anybody anywhere near that here in California. Like not even close as far as I know. If there are, let me know about it because I'd love to come check out your store. Uh, but I, I mean, I what love kind the of per prices? pound pricing. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. What? Uh, no, what kind of pricing do you guys see in, or in California for like a 20 pound washer? Like a 20 pound? Uh, I want to say if, well, I mean, it, it varies pretty wild, wildly actually. Um, I mean, I've seen them at two bucks, but I say probably if I had to pick an average, probably three fifty, three, three fifty, something there. Three fifty, seventeen cents a pound. Yeah. But like you said, 17 and a half, like you said, so higher up you go, the the lower those prices go. And you'll see, you'll see a $3, 20 pounder and a $9, 80 pounder. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so I, I don't understand it. I figure out a pricing structure and quick rule of thumb that I've made up. I don't know. This seems to follow to me, but you should basically gross the price of your machine in 12 months at three turns a day. Um, and if you can gross the price of your machine in 12 months at a, at about the three turns a day thing, that's where your pricing should be. Ooh, I love that. I've never heard anybody say that, but I, I kind of like that. I'm going to think about that a little bit more and see if I agree with you, but on the surface, yeah, I, let me know. I, I for sure agree with the principle of that, uh, for sure. And off the top of my head, I mean, it just, it sounds right. Sounds good. Uh, but I'm going to look into that a little bit more because that's interesting. I never heard anybody put it that way, but I love the way, uh, that you're thinking about that for sure. So is that how you have yours priced? Yeah. More or less. Obviously, I mean, you have to take into account your competition. I happen to be in a place where I don't have a lot of, like, I tell people I have no competition because you walk into my store and it's got gray tile floors and stainless machines and it's painted white. I rip the tile ceiling out of it so it goes up into the rafters. We painted all that white. Like, it is nice. And even the closest stores to me are like, I don't know. They look like something on a Mexican street fair sort of thing. Um, So, you know, take into, take all that into account, but 
you should, whoever you are, you should definitely raise your prices. Yeah. No, I love that. And and that's a piece of advice that I hear the most successful lawn owners who've been on here. Many of them say the exact same thing. And I do think that that's one of the lowest hanging fruits, uh, especially when you first take over a laundromat is to raise those prices because chances are pretty good. The previous owner hasn't raised them in a while or didn't raise them enough last time they did, uh, particularly in the current environment. Uh, if you, I don't know, if you're up for it, I'd love for you to send a couple pictures of your specifically that first laundromat that you that you retooled uh, that we can throw on the show notes. I think people would love to see that, especially going back and, and seeing it. Definitely. I'll get you some. Yeah. I think that'd be cool. Yep. I will definitely get you some. Dude, I'm glad you brought up the Venn price thing because that, that's really interesting food for me to, to chew on here. Uh, and uh, dude, again, seriously, genuinely, this has been one of my favorite episodes. And not only that, but I said that, and then you made it even better after that. So dude, bonus, bonus points for you. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know you are in the thick of it, renovating those laundromats and you're working a full-time job too. And uh, dude, you still spent the time to come on and and share your stories. I appreciate that. And uh, man, let's stay in touch. I'd love to hear what's going on. Do more together. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to do another one after I get these other two laundromats uh, up and running, and we'll give you a state of the union on those. Yes, that is that's a date. We're we'll, we're doing that for sure. I would love to hear the update on that and see if you have pulled out all of your hair uh, yet or not, or if you survived <laughs> with a full head of hair intact. I'm working on it. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you again for coming on. Really appreciate it, and looking forward to doing the next one with you. I hope you loved that episode. I'm, I, you know, I don't even hope. I know you loved that episode. There was so much good stuff in that uh, interview with Ben. Ben, huge shout out to you. Thank you for coming on. I can't wait to do some more stuff together because uh, that was incredible. Uh, and listen, all of that incredible knowledge and. That whole interview is, it means nothing for you if you're listening to this and you don't take some action. So like every week, pick one thing, put it into action this week. Do it this week. Do it today if you can. Uh, the action is what's going to help you achieve your goals, right? So pick one thing uh, and put it into action. There was just, there was so much good stuff. I was looking through trying to pick my one thing. I think I'm going to put a little more uh, thought into what my one thing is. Uh, but dude, some of the cool stuff, money is an illusion. You create money. Like there are oh, so much good stuff. And I've been thinking through, maybe this is my action step is to think through, how do I create more money? Right? Like not that money is everything, but money is a big thing. Right. And so how do I create more of it, uh, through, you know, using my mind and my skill sets. And, uh, maybe that's my big one thing. I don't know. I'm going to think through it a little bit more. What's your one thing? I'd love to hear about it. Maybe go share it on laundromatresource.com slash forums. We will see you next week with next week's episode and a brand new uh, calculator coming out for those of you guys who already own a laundromat. Super excited about it. All right. Peace.